All right, let's jump into our teaching. If you, uh, if you need notes, there's some up here uh, on the sides of the stage. There's notes back there. Uh, and I want to invite you this morning, we're, we're going to be spending some time in the Bible, reading together. I didn't put so much stuff up on the screen today, so you're going to want to grab a, de- a Bible or a device that you can open your Bible app on. Uh, but I want to start uh, telling you about a, a trip that Chris and I took to Hawaii a few years ago. And uh, I'm going to need my wife's help with this story, I'm sure, because she was part of the story and her perspective is completely different than mine. Uh, we, we love vacationing in Maui. That's kind of our go-to place. And, uh, and this one particular year... Hi, sweetheart. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this one particular year, you remember, yes. uh, we, we, we try to get into Maui as early in the day as possible, but this particular year, we got in after dark. So we got our rental car, we grabbed something quick to eat, we were tired, so we just drove to the condo and went to bed and went to sleep. And in the morning, when, when, we got, when, when I got up, I woke up on Montana time, Chris can sleep any t- on vacation. Right, I always sleep in on vacation because I can't sleep in here. And the first day, bam, she is out. So I always wake up early, and this particular morning, it was pretty early, and, and I, I thought, you know, I want to make the most of this day, and we got to do some grocery shopping so we have food for breakfast. So I thought, I'm just going to go straight to the grocery store and pick up some groceries. Right. So in the meantime, I wake up, and he is gone. And I figured, oh, he must be going to get groceries. And I look over on the pillow next to me, and it is full of blood. And I'm like, or maybe somebody took him. I don't know, right? It's just covered in blood. And not too long after that, I hear somebody coming in the condo. And I get up and I run. And I look at him. And he is looking at me with dried blood all over his face. And I'd gone to the grocery store. just come from the grocery store. I picked up eggs and coffee and all the things we need for breakfast with dried blood. Why? Because like somebody rolled you like... Like in the night, and you went shopping in the next morning, right? Never looked in the mirror, just dried blood everywhere. Hi, sweetheart. I'm like, what am I? Well, he had a bloody nose in the night. Right. And never looked in the mirror the next day and went out for everybody to see looking like that. Do you know nobody said a word to me in the grocery store? What does that say about the culture in Maui that nobody cared enough to ask if I was okay? I I don't know. I don't know. But then, well, I won't. What? You didn't brush your teeth or anything. You went oh, out. Well, you didn't have to say that part. Come on. I'm not going to ask you to share anymore. That's what they call TMI. This is what you get if you don't look in the mirror, right? Uh, and I, I think we all know this, that, that there is something important about checking in on yourself before you leave for the day. And probably this part too. <sighs> See how that is too. But uh, anyway, you got a mirror when you came in. You got your mirror. Would you grab your mirror? I want to ask you a question this morning. Take, take a look in that mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. And I've got kind of a big noggin, so I've got to hold mine out a ways to, to, get, to get a full view or all I see is pores if it's up close. But it, when you look in your mirror... What do you see? Would you just ask yourself that question? What, what stands out at you when you look in the mirror? <laughs> Vicky's cleaning her teeth. You see the broccoli from last... You didn't brush your teeth this morning either. Oh, lipstick on the teeth. I'm with you. Yes. 
What, what, do you, what do you see? Chubby. What else do you see? Wrinkles. Acne. Man, we're, we're critical. Can, can I ask you this? When you look in the mirror, do you see the image of God? Okay. Look again. Do you know that you were created in the image of God? And when you look in the mirror, you're looking at somebody who was created to look like he looks. But we tend to be really critical of ourselves, don't we? Now, we're, we're in the middle of a message series that we're calling JPS. We're reading through 2 Corinthians together. And if you're here for the first time today or if you've been away for a while, um, we're, we're reading through the book of 2 Corinthians one chapter at a time, one, one week at a time. Our small groups, many of them, are reading through 2 Corinthians. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 3. And I want to start with a key verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's up on the screen this morning, and it reads this way. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of words in this verse, and, and it it might not click with you right away this morning, but we're going to unpack this this morning uh, by putting this into some context today. Let me just read this verse one more time. I want you to just look at it, listen to it, see if God might begin speaking to you about something. Paul says, but we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So grab your mirror again. I want you to look again. And, and I want to I, I ask you, can, can you see the glory? Can you, can you see the glory? Because it's there. It's there. Here's where we're going today in this message series. Today, our destination is this. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus. If you can't see it at first glance in the mirror, I want you to know it's at least starting today. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus. And before we get into 2 Corinthians today, what I want to do is take you back into the Old Testament, into Exodus 34. Paul is referencing Exodus 34 in this chapter of 2 Corinthians, and there's a very interesting account in this chapter that becomes a critical element of Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, would you turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 34? Exodus is the second book in your Bible, so it's Genesis and then Exodus, and chapter 34 follows chapter 33. If you're newbie to counting, that's how you can find something. Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Exodus 34, you there? You got it open? I see the pages rustling and phones moving. Here's what we read. I'm in the New Living Translation here for this section. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, can you see Charlton Heston in your mind's eye? Okay. Moses wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So to rewind, 
Moses had climbed this mountain to meet with God. He'd been in the presence of God for 40 days, 40 nights, speaking with the Lord, and God had inscribed on these stone tablets the commandments, the Ten Commandments, all right? Verse 30, so when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. And then all of the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So then he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. So this is an interesting story. Kind of weird. If you've read through the Bible, maybe you've read this before and haven't really stopped to ponder uh, what's really happening here. But there's a few things that I want to highlight for you. First of all, when you spend time in the presence of God, you will start to look like him, okay? For Moses, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in God's presence, and and the scriptures say that his face began to glow. Why? Well, the New Testament tells us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's a number of accounts throughout the Bible in which people see the Lord. They're in the presence of the Lord, and and God's presence is described as dazzlingly bright light. That's one of the characteristics of God. He is light. So it stands to reason that when Moses comes out of the presence of God, if he's being transformed, his image, he's going to radiate light. Doesn't that make sense? Okay. So that's, that's what was happening. But here's what's interesting. The people were afraid of the glow. Why? Well, for one thing, people don't usually walk around glowing, so it's weird, right? But the bigger issue was, I think they recognized that that glow was evidence of the presence of God on Moses, and the people were afraid of God's presence. So Moses did two things in this order. Think about this with me. Two things. First of all, he gave the people the rules. And then he hid the God on him from the people. Rules. And then he hid God from the people. Now, I don't know why Moses did that. It doesn't tell us why. But all of a sudden, the people had rules that were divorced from the presence of God. It becomes a problem. And so for the people of Israel, and and when we get to 2 Corinthians, this is how Paul is going to use this metaphor of the veil. The veil hides people from the presence of God. And listen, I think all of us, most of us probably, have become really good at using the veil. We use the veil to hide people from the presence of God. Maybe you use the veil to hide yourself from the presence of God. Because maybe like the people of Israel, you're not all at all comfortable coming into the presence of God. 
after all, we sang a bunch of songs this morning about how holy God is. That can kind of scare the poop out of you a little bit, right? If, if you're aware, like Isaiah was, of how sinful you are, and we start singing about God's holiness, you can go, oh, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just put up a little bit of a wall, or I'm going to put on a veil. I'm not sure I'm comfortable in the presence of the Another way we can use the veil is sometimes we can use the veil to hide other people from the presence of God. Because you know, as, as Christ followers, we carry the presence of God with us. And people recognize the presence of God on us. And so sometimes we can use the veil because that doesn't make me comfortable if people know that I am radiating the presence of for, for whatever reason it might be. And so we use the veil in that way. And here's the reality. When, when people put on a veil, this happened to the people of Israel. When people put on a veil, they just become religious. Can I give you the easy definition of what religion is? Religion is rules without relationship. And you know what? Your life is never going to be really changed just by following the rules. I, you can be a really good person by following the rules, but it's not really what God had in mind. The book of Exodus doesn't really pass any judgment on Moses when he put the veil over his face to hide the glory of God from the people of Israel, but I don't believe that was God's intention. Moses went up to the to the mountain, and he spent 40 days in the presence of God, and he received the commandments. He received the rules, but it was all in the presence of God. And I believe the people, I, I believe God's intention was that the people would receive the rules and, and they would continue to bask in the presence of God, enjoy the, but instead the veil separated them from the presence, and they just became religious, and it became a problem. For example, here's, here's one of the rules that wasn't even on the stone tablets. The Jewish people had this, this high respect of Yahweh. Yahweh was the revealed name of God. It's, it's in your Bible. The old versions translate it Jehovah. A lot of times we're singing songs now with the name Yah. This is God's given name. He reveals his name to his people in the Old Testament. But the Jews felt like in order to respect God, they shouldn't really speak his name ever. And so even when they were copying the scriptures, do you know what they would do? They would put little notes in for the readers and they would say, don't say Yahweh, say the Lord. Because his name was too holy to be spoken. Now, that's just preventing people from really experiencing the intimacy with God that he intended for us to have. Can you imagine if, if you're in a relationship, if, you've, if, if you're married or if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or if you have children, or you're, imagine that you never use those intimate names with those people. You just, what, what if I never called... I, my name for Chris is Chrissy. That, that's her family name, okay? You can't call her Chrissy unless you're family. I call her Chrissy, right? I'm just kidding. Some of you do. But what if I stopped calling her Chrissy and just said, wife? Do you think that would impact my relationship with 
my wife? It, it would, okay? What if I just called you by your occupation, okay? What if, I, what if I just called you by your occupation? Colt, you're one of my dear friends. Maybe I'll just start calling you computer programmer. Just, just forget, you can call me pastor, yes. That, the, I haven't talked about this for a long time. I hate being called pastor. It's not my name, it's my job. Please call me Russ, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so some of these rules can actually prevent us from entering into relationship with God, especially with, when they're rules we just make up in our own minds, okay? And, and this is the problem when, when rules are divorced from a relationship, it just becomes religion. But if we know Jesus, if we're spending time in the presence of Jesus, what's happening is we are being transformed into his image. We start to look and sound and act more and more like Jesus. You might even glow. How cool would that be? So, now, with that as a background, Exodus 34 is background. Now, would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? And, and uh, while you're turning there, let me just give you some background. What's happening here, uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, one of the reasons Paul has written this letter to the Corinthians is because there have been some teachers that have come into this church that Paul started from scratch. He was a church planter. And, and Paul had started this church from scratch, and after he moved on and was planting churches elsewhere, there were some teachers that had come into Corinth, and they were trying to convince the people that they needed to go back to the rules, that the people weren't really pleasing God by worshiping Jesus and listening to Jesus and, and following Paul's leadership uh, because Paul knew Jesus really, really well. They wanted the people to go back to the rules. And so in chapter 3, Paul is, is saying, listen, I don't want you as, as Christians, as Christ followers, I don't want you to go back to that old way. The old way is religion. It's rules without relationship. I want you to stay in this new way, this relationship with God that Jesus died to provide for everybody who believes in him. And what we're going to see here, this, this is my summary, religion says be good, but relationship says be mine. Okay? There's a big difference, and this is the difference between the old covenant or the old agreement and the new covenant, the new agreement. The, the old covenant was all about just being good enough for God, and really, you never can be good enough, right? Anybody else blown it so big that you realize, I'm not, I can't do this by myself, right? That was the problem with the old covenant of just being good. But the new covenant says, be mine. Come into relationship with me, and I will empower you to be everything that I want you to be. It's all about relationship. That's the difference between the old way and the new way. So if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's read together now. Here's what Paul says to the people in Corinth and to us. He says, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? 
If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. And so if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever. Now I want you to see some really important things about the contrast between the old way and the new way. And if you've got note cards, you'll want to fill this in here. I made you a little chart so you can see this comparison. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, I want you to know religion leads to death. Religion leads to death. This is when you're living with rules with no relationship. You're just trying to be good. But relationship with God leads to life. It gives you life. And I'm just going to mention this here because I think it's significant. Twice in this chapter, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. And, and that's important because you've got to know when you, when you say yes to Jesus, when Jesus becomes your king, and, and he's calling the shots. He also gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit generates life. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was the force that raised Jesus from the dead. And if he is living in me, he is giving me life. But rules without relationship will kill you. Understand? Okay, here's the second thing I want you to see. Religion leads to condemnation. Why? Because we keep messing up. But relationship makes us right with God. Now, depending on what version you're reading, your Bible might say that, that the new way makes you righteous. And in our minds, we tend to think of the word righteous as being synonymous with holy, means perfection. Righteousness does not mean perfection. Righteousness means that you are in right relationship with God and people. It's very different. And righteousness is given to you as a gift when you come to Jesus. Righteousness is not something you have to achieve or earn. You, you don't work and work and work and work, and someday Jesus says, oh, you're righteous now because you, you reach some sort of bar. You reach some sort of righteous threshold. The Bible is very clear that Jesus makes you righteous. It's a gift. He makes you right with God. And then we, we just start living that out and walking it out. But you don't lose that if you stumble and you make a mistake. If you find yourself tempted and you stumble into sin, you don't lose that right relationship with God. That's beautiful. And that's what relationship does. See, the rules just condemn you. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Relationship means you're right with him. This week, uh, Chris and I had a really ugly argument. And we don't, we don't argue very often, but when we do, boy, they're doozies. We're, we're good at arguing. And, uh, and, and my emotions got the better of me, and I said some things that really hurt Chris's feelings really bad. And, and then I got my feelings hurt, and, and it was on, right? And, and we resolved it well, and, and, and all, all is well. We're fine. But, but 
this is what I want you to know. Never in that argument was I afraid that Chris would leave me. I was never worried that this argument and the things I said that were hurtful were so bad that she would say, that's it, I'm done, I'm heading back to Idaho. Didn't even enter my mind. Did it enter your mind? Why? Because our relationship holds us together even when we're arguing. Even when I do something or say something that is hurtful to you, you're not going to dump me. Okay? Now, God says he is a husband to his people. And, and somebody here needs to hear this. You need to know that when you stumble and fall, you mess up. God's not going to reject you or walk away from you or squish you or say, that's it. I'm withdrawing from Carolyn. Carolyn, he doesn't do that to you because you are in relationship with him and you are righteous no matter what. You are righteous no matter what. And that's, that's important to understand. This is the power of relationship. It gives you righteousness. Makes you right with God. Here's the third thing that Paul says. And this might, this might mess you up a little this, this morning. Paul says religion has been replaced the old way has been replaced. The old covenant has been replaced. But relationship with God, the new way, remains forever. Listen, did you know the old covenant was never intended to be permanent? It was always, it was always a temporary thing. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, there were these prophecies where God was saying, I'm bringing something new. There's a new covenant that's coming, and it's not going to just be for Jews. It's going to be for all people, all tribes, all nations. There's something new that's coming. Hang on. Buckle your seatbelt. Something new is coming. There was always the promise that something new and better was going to come and replace the old. And listen, if you're still clinging to religion, believing that you can be good enough by just following the rules, you're missing out on the beauty of the new because this new way, this relationship with God through Jesus is going to be forever. It will never fade away. It will never go away. It will never be replaced. This is God's promise for you and me. And when you live in a relationship with God, my friends, you are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Still got your Bibles open. I want you to look at verse 13. Paul says, we are not like Moses. We are not, just, just say that with me. We are not like Moses. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see his glory, even though it was destined to fade away. What I want you to know today is if you are not experiencing transformation in your life, are you stuck? Are you frustrated? Do you feel like you're just not making any progress? If that's you, maybe you're living under a veil. If you are experiencing condemnation, that's evidence that maybe you're living under the rules and you haven't come into relationship yet. If you feel this constant nagging of condemnation, you might have a veil and you've separated yourself 
from the presence of God and the glory that, that he gives. If you feel like quitting, if you're just wondering if this is even worth pursuing, maybe you're living under a veil. You might be living under a veil if you're not falling more and more in love with Jesus. You might be living under a veil if you're hiding Jesus from the people in your community. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we just have this, maybe fear can be a veil. And we're worried about rejection or we're worried about somebody not liking us or we're worried about getting in trouble. And so we hide Jesus from the people that we're rubbing shoulders with. I kind of had an aha moment a couple of weeks ago. I am a, I am a part of an online weight loss community, and I've become uh, more and more active the last several months as I've just kind of discovered this resource. And, um, and, and so every week, um, I'm mixing with people on an online platform and getting to know people. And, uh, and when I started this community started uh, participating in this community, my first impulse was, I don't want people to know I'm a pastor. That, that was just my first impulse. I don't want people to know I'm a pastor. Why? Well, because as soon as somebody finds out I'm a pastor, their whole demeanor towards me changes. And, and I, want, I want some people who will help me be accountable for weight loss, and I want, I want some people who will just be kind to me and give me I, I just want to be rust. I don't want to be a pastor. And, and so uh, for quite a long time, I didn't share with anybody anything about my faith. I just, I, I just talked about weight loss. That's all, all I talked about. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was on this Zoom call with a whole bunch of people, and, and this woman that I've gotten to know a little bit in this community, she just piped up, and she says, now you all know I am a Jewish rabbi. And then she went, she's, from, she's from New York, so this thick New York accent. I'm a, and I can't do the accent, but I'm a Jewish rabbi. And then she just went into what it means to be a, a Jewish rabbi person and, and how that impacts your life. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, here I am in this community. This woman is not at all afraid to talk about her faith, and I'm hiding Jesus from these people that I'm getting to know. That's not okay. And today, as I started, or, or this week, as I was working through this passage in 2 Corinthians, I realized I'm, I'm doing the Moses thing. I've got a veil over my face. I need to start reflecting Jesus, even to an online community. I've got to be, I, I have to be who I am, which is radiating the presence of Jesus. That's my call. So, so if you're listening to me today, and, and maybe you're realizing you have this this hesitation to really live out loud, live Jesus out loud, full on, unveiled. Listen, there's so much more for you. There's so much more for me. Let's get rid of the veil. Make sense? So let me wrap up this way. I want to talk about how to get rid of the veil. And Paul tells us very simply, whoop, there went my, my mirror. That's okay. Paul tells us very simply in verse 16. Paul says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Can I invite you today to turn to the Lord? Whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I want to I, I tell you this morning, 
unequivocally, today is your opportunity. If you are realizing today, as we're reading through this stuff together, if you're realizing you're wearing a veil, either you are, you are shielding yourself from the glorious, penetrating presence of God, or you are shielding people around you from his presence, either way, will you make the choice today to turn to the Lord and gaze into his face and let transformation really begin to change? Let him lift the veil. Listen, you don't have to do anything. This isn't something you have to do or achieve. It's just a turn. It's, it's turning from this old way of thinking to the Jesus way of thinking. It's turning from, I've got to be, I, I, I've got to reach this threshold of rules following before God will receive me, to turning to Jesus who says, Whoever will can come. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. You don't have to make up for it. No penance, no makeup classes, no do-overs. Just turn to Jesus. If you're like me and you're like, mm, I'm not sure I want people to know that I'm a Christ follower. Just turn to Jesus. Let him begin to transform your thinking into this thing of, hey, your face is going to start to glow. People are going to see Jesus on you. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws. You don't have to preach the gospel. You don't have to stand on a soapbox. Just be who you really are, radiating Jesus. And by turning to him, he will lift the veil. It's an opportunity. Just turn. Verse 17 says, well, let me read 16 again. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you know when you turn to the Lord, all of a sudden there's all this freedom in his presence. Freedom from condemnation. Man, how good is that? When you realize I don't have to live under this cloud of guilt. Is that good? Okay. Freedom from the cloud of death. Paul said that the old way brings death. Okay. We can live under a cloud of death when the condemnation gets so severe, you were such a screw-up that life isn't even worth living anymore. You, I don't know how to describe it other than just this cloud of death that makes you feel like you are a worthless human being. You have no value. That's the cloud of death. And when you turn to the Lord and you encounter the, the life-giving spirit, all of a sudden death is lifted and you are free from the cloud of death. That's what freedom looks like. It's life. 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 Can I, can I just speak life over you today? When you turn to the Lord, it's not just heaven that you get. You get life in this life. Real life. Abundant life. The good life that Jesus wants you to have. It's when you turn to the Lord. Freedom. Let me talk to you about what 
it looks like to turn to the Lord. Because I think sometimes we can use these Christian-easy terms and you don't quite know what it means. If you were like me, maybe you were raised in this environment where, where somebody told you what your job was as a Christian. Here, here's what you should do as a Christian. We do this a lot with kids. We do this like in new believers classes. Anybody ever go to a new believers class? Okay. And, and one of the things that, that Christian leaders always want to do is they want to teach people how to become healthy Christ followers, you know? So they'll make really good suggestions, okay? Here, here's an example of good, good suggestions. Well, if you're a Christ follower, it is a good practice to start your day with quiet time. Okay, anybody ever talk to you about quiet time? Okay, and, and what do you do in your quiet time? Well, you're gonna, you're gonna quietly spend time in the presence of God. Um, maybe you should read your Bible. Here's, here's a good plan for reading the Bible. I'm quoting now, okay? Why don't you read a chapter in the Old Testament, read a chapter in the New Testament, then read one psalm and read a few verses in the Proverbs. Do that, and then spend, I don't know, five, 10, 15 minutes praying, okay? And then, and then that will be your quiet time and you're going to grow. Okay? What is that? That's doing. It's doing a whole bunch of things. It can really easy slip into rules. It can really easy slip into religion. I remember in the 80s there was this, uh, there was this very famous uh, preacher. He may still be around. His name was Larry Lee. Anybody remember Larry Lee? And Larry Lee had this system that he developed. He wrote a book called uh, One Hour to Change the World or One Hour to Change Your Life or whatever. And he developed this 60-minute six, system. You can pray for an hour if you just follow his system. So he had broken an hour up into 12 segments using a clock. And you pray in this certain prayer genre for five minutes, all these 12 ways. And before you even know it, you will have prayed an hour. And so the church I was in at that time, we, we did this seminar, we watched all the videos, and we just thought Larry Lee was the smartest thing, because who doesn't want to pray for an hour, right? So we're all going to do this together. And so my boss, the senior pastor, decided that every day our staff was going to assemble first thing in the morning, 8 o'clock, and we were going to do this hour of prayer together. And so for months and months and months, we went through that system, five minutes of different prayer. One of them was interceding for our community. And so what Larry Lee did is he said, now when you're praying for your community, pray to the north and pray to the south and pray to the east and pray to the west. And, and so we took that to mean, well, we're going to pray for all those communities, okay? I was living at Boise at the time. So we would, we would all face the north. And then we would start to pray for Spokane. Oh, God, we, we just pray that you will revive Spokane. Do a good job in Spokane. And then we'd pray to the south. And I don't remember who's in the south. Cuna, I think. Um, Jesus. And, and then and we'd, we'd go around, you know, and we'd do this for five minutes. Well, after about two weeks of doing this, you know, we've run out of cities to pray for in the north, south, east, and the west. And I'm getting my atlas out because it's my turn to pray there. And I've got to find a new community to pray for. And then after another two weeks, you know, 
Pastor is still excited about this. Man, we're praying for an hour. We're the most spiritual church staff in the city of Boise. Man, we're awesome. And he doesn't know that the whole staff's coming in and we're going, oh, we got to do this again. Ah. Why? Man, we had slipped into religion. And we had lost this power that prayer isn't about going through some formula. It's about turning to Jesus, talking to him, listening to him, experiencing him, and walking away knowing I have been with the Lord. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying any of these things are bad, okay? If, if you... If you're a Larry Lee guy and you're still praying and you're connecting with Jesus, God bless you. I'm glad you are. If you're, if you're reading an Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter, and a Psalm and a Proverb every day, and you're hearing from Jesus, I'm so glad you are. I'm just trying to give you some examples of what can turn into religion. And I want you to be free instead. When you open up your Bible in your quiet time, start by saying, Jesus... Will you talk to me through what I read today? And then read until you hear him talk. Sometimes, for me, it's the first verse. I don't even get through a whole chapter. And it doesn't matter. Because it's not about rules. If I hear Jesus speak in the first verse, I'm, I'm just going to start a conversation. I'm just going to start a conversation. This week, I sat down in my prayer chair... And, and I said to the Lord out loud, with my out loud voice, I said, God, I just feel lost today. And I don't even know what to say to you. And then I opened up my Bible, and it was like, whoosh! It was like those movies where the Spirit of God comes like out of the, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? Lightning bolts. That's how generous he is. When I'm just real with him. I just, just tell him where I'm at. And give him an opportunity to speak to me. He's so good. And this was his idea. Listen, he isn't going to withhold from you. If you will take the time to listen and talk to him, ask him questions, and then just give him enough space to talk to you, he's going to do it because this is what he intended. Clear back to Moses, this was his intention. What did he do with Moses? He invited him up on the mountain. Didn't take God 40 days to carve those commandments. It was just Moses and Yahweh hanging out. Man, how awesome. Now we get to verse 18. And I've switched versions here because the NLT takes the word mirror out of the version. So on the screen is the NASB. Because this mirror part is important. Paul says, we all, 
with unveiled faces, looking as if we're looking in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. It's from the Lord. It's from the Spirit. Listen, I, I gave you these mirrors today because I want you to take them home. And I want you to put this little mirror somewhere in your home or your car, somewhere where you're going to see it, it's going to remind you to turn to the Lord so that you can start looking at him. And when you look in this little mirror shard, what I want you to look for in the coming days and weeks is to look for the glory of the Lord. And, and I want you to ask yourself the question, do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? And look. Listen, a couple things I want you to know about the image of God. First of all, Genesis chapter 1 says every one of us were created in the image of God. You bear the image of God just because you're a human being. Nothing you have to earn or achieve. And then life has corrupted that image and we all kind of get messed up. But when we turn to the Lord, we come into his blazing presence and this verse tells us we are being transformed into his image more and more. It says glory to glory. Do you know what that means? Well, just being created in the image of God means we carry this glory. But now that we are in Christ, now that we're communing with Christ, there's even more glory coming to us. And, and so you're, you're going to see more and more glory on you as you practice this, as you turn to the Lord, as you just hang with him. You're going you're gonna to start to glow. Now, that could be figurative or literal. Kelly told me this week she actually saw somebody one time spending time in the presence of the Lord that literally glowed. Okay? What if it happens to you? How awesome. Would you let it happen to you? Or are you going to hide behind a veil? One more thing I want to say, and then we're going to close. Musicians, you can start making your way. Don't let them distract you. Stay right here with me, guys. The word transformed in this verse, is it still up there? Tosh, would you go back to the verse that has the word transformed? There it is. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Can I tell you a little bit about that word transformed? In the Greek language, 2 Corinthians is written in Greek. In the Greek language, that word transformed is the word metamorpho-o. It's the word we get the word metamorphosis from. And usually whenever people talk about metamorphosis, they use the example of a butterfly. You all know a butterfly becomes a butterfly after a butterfly moth forms a chrysalis, right? And it, or you can call it a cocoon. I think a butterfly is called a chrysalis. And it goes into this chrysalis, and inside that chrysalis, it metamorphosizes. It transforms. It goes in a worm, and it comes out a butterfly. 
It's spectacularly beautiful. But do you know what you'll find if you cut open a chrysalis before the butterfly emerges? You're just going to find an unorganized soup of cells. It's just glop. That, that worm, that caterpillar, dissolves into liquid and reforms into a butterfly. The reason I'm sharing this with you is because if you're in a place, you're listening to me today and you're going, Pastor Russ, I've been doing this forever and I'm not getting anywhere. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know there's somebody here that's just like, <sighs> when am I going to get there, God? Maybe you're in the gloop stage. Don't give up. Don't give up. You're going to become that beautiful creature that God is transforming you into if you'll stay hanging out with Jesus and if you'll let go of the rules and hang on to relationship. He is transforming you from glory to glory and you're going to make it. No matter how hard it is today, listen, you're going to make it. I promise you. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen means... So be it. Let's stand together. I think we'll pray in a second. Our team picked this song, and I think it'll lead us into prayer beautifully. Let's, let's sing it with them. Come on, sing with everything in you, and, and listen, turn to Jesus. Don't just go through the motions of singing a song. Talk to Jesus as we sing. Okay, now, I want to invite you. This is your opportunity. turn to the Lord using your own voice. So would you, I, I know we're at the end here, and it's easy to get distracted, so would you do whatever it takes to remove yourself from distraction? What I mean by that is maybe you just want to close your eyes and shut everything else out. Maybe you need to move away from the people that are around you, because I want you to get alone with Jesus for a little bit of time before you leave this place. So would you do whatever it takes to shut out the distractions? And then we're going to pray. You ready? Now would you just talk to Jesus and tell him what's on your heart right in this moment. do it out loud, you can do it silently, but just talk to him.
Now, would you shift from talking to him to listening? What is he saying to you? It might be one word. It might be a phrase. Sometimes what he does is sends you to a place in the Bible. You look that up and wow, it's that whoosh that you're going to experience. Listen. What's he saying? Somebody earlier in the week said to me that the message that the Lord was giving Connect today was, this is your opportunity. I believe that's for somebody. This shift from religion to relationship is an opportunity for somebody in this room. Your whole world is going to change when you grab onto this. Sarah, you had something that you felt like the Lord wanted you to share with the church. And then Susie, you come on up too. Good morning. Um, so I just wanted to share a little story, something that happened to me when I was you know, about 18, 19, working in a boutique in Billings. Um, I started to go to church when I was 15 and became a Christian soon thereafter. And so as a young Christian, of course, you know, like our fire can't be quenched and hopefully it's not quenched when we're older either. Um, but I had a gentleman, a customer that came in and I was helping him find something. I think he was looking for, you know, a lovely present for his wife or whatever. And um, As he left the store, he identified me as a Christian and I knew it because he said to me, he said, you had, you have your father's eyes. Now I had never met this man before. But so when Russ challenged us to look in the mirror this morning and he said, what do you see? It, God reminded me, he said, I, you have my eyes. Yeah, that's good. I have my father's eyes. And look, you guys, like, if you know my story, I've been to hell and back a few times. And God had to reform my identity in that. And look, you are chosen. You are beloved. You are holy. You are picked out. God wants to do incredible things in your life. He loves you. You have his eyes. It's good, Sarah. It's good. It's you good. have his eyes. And so let him work through you to love other people and to pour out the things of Jesus to other people. Because, man, we are in a world that is so hurting. We so need Jesus. Yes. yes. Let him work through you. Thank you, Sarah. Susie, what is the Lord saying? Now, when the Lord speaks to me, he's speaking to me. And I just, sometimes I feel like it's for all of you too. And so um, I think that this is for someone, maybe for multiple people. But, um, you know, my whole life, 
struggled with this one thing. And while we were singing that song, he revealed this, you know, brick wall. And he said, if you'll just, just choose me, I'll help you break it down. And then I saw, um, not even from the top down, but from the middle of the brick wall, I saw him breaking, not, but not breaking, but like in a gentle sense, like pulling each brick out, brick by brick. And then I saw the light shine through and hit my heart. And so he's saying, if you just choose to turn to me, if you just allow me to take that brick wall, I will be gentle and kind, and I'll take it down for you. You don't even have to do it yourself. I'll do it for you. Mm. I love that. I love that. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for these words that are strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. And we're going to hang on today to what is good comes from you. Lord, we're going to turn to you this week. We're going to turn to you for the rest of our lives. And we're going to watch you metamorphosize us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you want to stay for a while and just linger in God's presence, I'm going to ask Maggie, will you just put on some good worship music uh, loud enough to cover the noise, please? If you want to stay for a while, you're welcome to stay. If you need to go, have a great week. We'll see you next week.